Hello, I'm Montana. And I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell. Today I'm going to tell Samantha about the three sisters in black. But before we get started, Samantha, what are we drinking? We are drinking boozy blackberry lemonade. This is one serving. Let's clarify. <laughs> No need to share. You're going to use a half a cup of blackberries, three sprigs of fresh mint, one teaspoon of a type of sweetener. So it can be agave, maple, simple syrup, whatever. One and a half ounces of vodka or bourbon, half a cup of ice cubes. And you're going to use the blackberries, mint, and lemon slices to garnish. You're going to muddle the blackberries in the mint, build the cocktail, garnish, and serve. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Pretty good. All right. You have told me zero about this story. So listen, never been this secretive. Okay. Here's the thing. Um, but all right, before I get started, I'm going to go ahead and give you, um, my resources. Uh, uh, an article from, Rutherford tnhistory.org um New York Daily News.com article an article on Montgomery Museum.org the lineup.com article on the case of course Wikipedia and that's it but before we get started, I, Sam, I'm so sorry. There's so many characters in this. So it, it's going to be a little bit difficult to follow, but like I've left prompts like in my notes to be like, oh, this was this was this. This was this. So I think we're going to be able to follow it. But I just want to preface it this episode that there are a lot of players in it. And it's it's going to be a lot. Okay. So are you ready? Prompts. That'll that'll be helpful. <laughs> yeah. So are you ready to hear about the sisters in black? Yes, please share. And I'll try to keep up. Okay, good. So we'll start with uh Caroline Bell uh Wardlow. She was born in 1848 and was married to Colonel Is it Colonel? Colonel colonel and she was married to colonel robert maxwell martin who had fought for the confederacy in the american civil war what a hero said no one caroline had a career in education and at one point had been removed from the position for unstable behavior starting out strong very strong Caroline had three sisters. This is where we start to get into <laughs> a lot of characters. Um, Mary Elizabeth Long Wardlow, born in 1849, was married to Fletcher Tillman Sneed. So that made her Mary Sneed. The second sister was Virginia Oceana Wardlow, born in 1852, 
and she was never married. Go spinsters. Yes. <laughs> you do you, girl. Yeah, but not really because she's kind of terrible. But anyway, <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> Both sisters were also involved in education. Their third sister was Bessie Gertrude Wardlow, born 1867, and was married to Richard Spindle. She doesn't really play a big role in this by any means. I mean, her husband comes up once later on, but that's about it. Hey, with a name like Gertrude, that's all she needs. You don't hear about Gertrudes anymore. Well, her... Her first name was Bessie, but yes, middle name Gertrude. Betsy. Though if I if I had a kid, I would probably name it Gertrude. Just to be that mean? Yes. <laughs> so there was also two brothers in the mix. John Banks Wardlow, who was born in 1854. He was a journalist and also taught at the Christian school with his aunt and sisters and married Mary Elizabeth Davidson. And so it said their, their aunt too, that this is where it gets, there's so many family members in this. His aunt worked at the school where he worked at and his three sisters worked at. She'll come up a little bit later. And he was married to Mary Davidson. The second brother was Albert Goodall Wardlow, born 1856. He was a reverend who married Harriet Lee Field, and he's not mentioned any other time during this. So there's not going to be a quiz at the end, right? Because there's no no way. There's no way I'd remember all these. The more we get into it, the more you're going to get familiar with these people, with some of them. Others will fall away and, you know, whatever. Some might die. You don't know. We never know. It's like a movie. So, I want to tell you about the Montgomery College. There's a lot of thunder in the background, if you hear it, because it's been storming for the past two hours. So, I apologize if it gets really loud. I can't hear it, but it will just it's shaking. It's shaking the house. So oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it might get a little loud. It'll just add some spookiness to this episode. Sure. So I'm here for it. So hopefully I don't die. Hopefully not. I mean, if you do, just keep going on with the episode so we can release it. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck finding somebody else to do this with you. Yeah, no kidding. Especially <laughs> since we're doing this. Guys, for all of our new listeners that we just recently found out about. <laughs> all of you. All of you. Uh, hi, welcome, uh, if you're new. Uh, We've doubled in size. We have gone from two to four. I'm really yes, proud of that. We have. Um, so welcome you two new people uh we normally don't do this we normally we're we're recording thursday night the episode comes out (laughs) on fridays so this is kind of a last minute thing because my life is chaos somebody decided to just get sick and i was so crappy and then i had to travel for work and so, but I'm here. I'm doing the thing. I'm doing the dang thing. Anyways, you are. I'm proud. Thank Moving you. Moving on. Moving on. 
So, originally established in 1853 as the Montgomery Collegiate Institute, located in Christiansburg, Virginia, it was founded and owned by the Christiansburg Presbyterian Church and operated out of the old church building. In 1860, a new school was built on the present site and renamed Montgomery Female Academy. Oceana Pollock, Martha Wa- Wardlow's sister, and this is where this kind of, this little cues comes in. Martha Wardlow is the mother of Caroline, Mary, Virginia, Bessie, and the two brothers, John and Albert, or better known as their aunt. The one that works at the school with them. Yeah, Oceana is the aunt, purchased the school in 1876 when it was sold at a public auction. And while she was a teacher at the school, an 1880 census shows Mistress Pollock and her niece Virginia Wardlow, nephews John and Albert Wardlow, all living at the school, with Virginia listed as a teacher there. Within a year, John and his wife... This is where we start losing people. Within a year... <laughs> sorry. Spoiler alert. Within a year, John and his wife Lizzie would be dead both in their 20s. Shortly after this... That's what you meant by losing people. I thought you meant, like, people are just going to stop listening. Oh, no. <laughs> you meant people are just going to start dying. People are going to start dying. There's a list. That, that might be worse. I think that might be worse. I think it might be worse. <laughs> Virginia... Sorry, I'm, I'm getting... I think I'm getting delirious this time. Anyway, moving on. delusional, Samantha. Let's <laughs> it right okay oh my gosh my husband was listening to the episode for the first time and he was cooking and he was about to start washing dishes right where that part comes i'm like no 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 this is a good part you don't want to make a lot of noise listen (laughs) stop and I, i was definitely laughing harder than he was but still it was entertaining to both of us so whatever i'm fully entertained by myself all the time (laughs) we know this Within a year, John and his wife, Lizzie, would be dead, both in their 20s. Virginia and Mary returned to Tennessee shortly after this. So, going back to uh, California. Let's go to California. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Going back to Caroline. Caroline had a daughter, Oceana. So, she's named after her aunt. Okay. Oceana Wardlow Martin, nickname O.C. O.C. was said to be beautiful, and honestly, she was. Sam, I sent you pictures of O.C. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's who that was? Mm-hmm. She, I was them, thinking when I was looking at them, quite stunning. Yeah, she's gorge. I'm here for it. The ugly woman is uh, Virginia. Oh, okay. Thanks for the clarification. Yeah, you're welcome. Anytime. She looks like a potato. Her name was on the picture. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. <laughs> okay, I clarified it twice for you. Well, and it was she. Apparently, she looked so bad they only showed half of her face. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to look her dead in the face either. <laughs> uh, anyways, OC was born September eighteen eighty five. OC also had a brother. 
I could not find his name anywhere. But like several things in this episode, I found differing resources, like differing accounts of things on how her brother died. Because spoiler alert, her brother's dead. Or when. He is said to have had meningitis. And that killed him. Or he fell down some stairs and died. Not sure. I can Either see way, you get those two confused. Yeah. I mean, they're so closely related. I get them honestly mixed up. Anytime I, mean, I hear... It's the same thing. It doesn't really yeah. matter. Yeah. Anytime I hear about somebody falling down some stairs, the first thought is like, oh. if they had only gone to the doctor about their stiff neck, <laughs> I can make that joke because I've had meningitis. At my house. <laughs> and it scared the Jesus out of us. Uh, I can I can understand the frustrations of finding differing accounts. I mean, heck, my last one, they couldn't even figure out which... Whether it was her father or grandfather that married her mom. Yeah, you just keep looking. And at some <laughs> point, you just give up and you're like, I'm just going to write this into the notes. Whatever. I'll just write both of them. You you decide. It was over 100 years ago. Sue me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody's left that's going to do that. In my notes, I said, either way, he's dead. So <laughs> That's what I was thinking the whole time, but I didn't want to say it because it sounded really bad. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for so, doing it for me. There's that. Oh, and um, like so many of the episodes recently, he uh, had a life insurance policy on him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No foul play suspected. No, 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 not at all. Well, I mean, meningitis, I wouldn't suspect it. Falling down the stairs, however, possibly. Um, yeah, so shortly after the boy's death, I literally wrote that, I don't know why, uh, the family moved to a nicer home in Manhattan. I'm assuming that life insurance came in clutch for a new home. Around 1900, Robert Maxwell Martin, our hero of the Confederate, Barf, soon developed medical problems. Within two months of arriving back in New York, neighbors heard groans and a crash and rushed to the aid of the... Rushed to the aid of... Martin. Whatever. (laughs) I was going to say colonel again. (laughs) But it's spelled like... Okay, it's spelled like colonel, okay? Whatever. Rush to the aid of Martin. Shut up. Stop laughing at me. Who has suffered a paralytic stroke. A stern looking Caroline was sitting above his unconscious body. And his daughter, Osi, Oceana, was weeping. The mother cautioned her daughter not to speak. The colonel died at Dr. Miller's sanatorium. He was 61 years old. Aww. Sad. So that's two people in a very short time. Well, I mean, technically four. And you said the the brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wife died, so technically it's four? Technically. But, oh. Well, I mean, I don't really know what he died of. It just said that he died. 
But he was around Virginia, and Virginia's kind of seedy, as we'll we'll find out. Spoiler. Well, I like how it said he was looking stern. Like, this is so inconvenient. Like, could you not have done this somewhere else? Right? No kidding. I think she was being stern towards her daughter because her daughter might have seen something. Oh, yeah. It was just funny when you said it, like where you put it in the sentence. It was like she was just looking down at him so sternly. Like, yeah. this is really inconvenient. I mean, she seems like a bitch to me anyways, but whatever. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Meanwhile, Virginia and Mary returned to Virginia. This is so confusing. Virginia and Mary, the other two sisters, returned to Virginia. Virginia's going down to Virginia. <laughs> Anyways, uh, shortly after 1900, I a swore. Music- you we- are in a musical mood or something. When we started this podcast, I was like, I am not going to do show tunes. You made it until I, episode 11. Episode 11. I can't keep my promises. That's what we're learning. So, Well, you haven't mentioned Bigfoot every single time. So I haven't. But so it's, far, it, good. it's hard for me. It's hard for me not to. I know. I'm proud I of you. Do it for you, listeners. I appreciate it. Oh, you, may, you thought I meant you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should know better at this point. <laughs> uh, so... Virginia and Mary returned to Virginia shortly after 1900. Virginia's younger sister, Bessie Spindle, was already living in the area with her husband, Richard, a prominent local businessman, and in 1900 was the principal at the academy. It was said around this time that their sister's aunt, Oceana Pollock, and it says on the side that she is aged and infirm, but like rude, okay? Those are my notes. Those are my notes. I mean, That's it is kind of rude, but looking at the picture, I mean, I don't think they spared spared any words on it. Like, That's rude. No, we're talking about uh, uh, their aunt. Oh, ouch. Yeah, rude. So super rude. Um this is why this is why I always struggle with these because I write stupid notes in the margins of my notes, and so it confuses me. And I'm like, "That's not okay. Whatever." She deeded the school to her sister Martha Wardlow, so their mother, Virginia okay. Caroline, Mary Bessie's mother, and Martha and niece Virginia. So it got deeded to Martha, the mother. In Virginia, the daughter. Hmm. Virginia and Mary had inherited the real property of the father, their father. And Mother Martha had received all the cash. So there was money to apply to the school. They renamed it Montgomery Female College. Things seemed to be going well at the school for a while. The school dormitories were refurbished. The curriculum was updated, and Virginia had returned to her love of teaching. Soon, Mary Sneed and her two sons, Fletcher and John, arrived back in Virginia. The trio's arrival created no problems. However, after the death of her husband, Caroline joined her sisters at the school along with her daughter, Osi. Things 
swiftly went awry as Caroline took over administration of the school. She made sudden changes to the curriculum, moved students from one classroom to another for no apparent reason, and instilled suspicion and secrecy by installing up to three padlocks on some doors. All three sisters took to roaming the halls, surprising the residents with their sudden appearance. Weird tales began to surface among the impressionable students. Supposedly, one story has it that the sisters, dressed in black and heavily veiled, would call for a carriage, always at night, and drive to the Evergreen Cemetery. These are some these are some eccentric ladies. <laughs> oh, this is just the tip of the iceberg. But you were friend. saying like running through the school and like basically creeping out the kids. I'm like, I could see Montana doing that. That is me. That would be me. Like I wouldn't like I wouldn't kill anybody, but that would be me. Oh, you would take so much pleasure in scaring the crap out of some kids. Oh yeah. For sure. At the cemetery, they were seen hovering around on graves and talking softly. Other neighbors reported that the women often wandered at night by candlelight on the campus of the school, suspiciously attired in long flowing black dresses. Apparently, Caroline Martin introduced occultism to them when she came to live with her sisters. The result was devastating. Teacher and teachers and students became frightened and left the school. So around this time, John and Fletcher, Mary Sneed's sons and O.C.'s cousins, got the fuck out of there and went. To, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> they were reading the writing on the wall. Yeah, uh, I was. I was wondering who was going to leave first, and they moved to Linville, Tennessee. In Linville, Tennessee, they opened a sawmill together. The brothers began courting uh, two women who would become their wives. Both women were the daughters of a prominent local lawyer named J.R. McLaurin. So they were sisters. Sisters with brothers. (laughs) Not weird at all. I mean, it oh. makes it, it kind of makes sense, honestly, because it sounds like they were together all the time. If but. you think that's weird, weird, weird <laughs> flex, you, but okay. If you think that's weird, just wait. Something weirder is going to happen. Okay. Anyways, um, God, you are entirely too excited. <laughs> Anyways, John married Anna Laird McLaren. In 1903, and Fletcher married her sister, Vashti. Isn't that a cool name? It's pretty cool, especially for back then. Yeah, I know, right? In uh, 1899. Fletcher and Vashti have a son in 1900. So they're living blissfully. They're doing the whole thing. Um, Married life. They have a son, all this other stuff. Well, Fletcher and Vashti have away a son. from the crazy sisters. Yeah, for for a hot dog minute. Um, but in 1906, Caroline shows up in Linville, attempting to persuade John into moving back to Montgomery College. He tells her no, and even calls the cops on her. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. 
<laughs> that is a very clear message. <laughs> no, man, just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> but about two weeks later, Caroline returns again and somehow manages to talk John into going back to the school to teach, teach with her. Leaving his wife, Anna. So we go from get the fuck out to... Yeah, I, okay. I like through all of the all of the stuff that I read, people were like she had like some way of hypnotizing people into doing what well, she I was wanted. thinking maybe she threatened his wife's life because she's already pretty cray cray. I mean, maybe, but like, my God. Uh, yeah. Anyway. So Anna is obviously devastated and ends up in a sanatorium soon after. Aww. Girl is not doing well. Well, she didn't have to be that crazy, though, at that time. She just had to be, like, upset. Yeah. And, I mean, they were married. They were married for, they were only married for three years. But, like, they had known each other for a while at that point. Yeah. And also, besides that, like, just on a practical standpoint, I'm assuming he didn't divorce her. So, that means... But that means she couldn't get remarried, which means she was just stuck there. Oh, don't you worry. Um, (laughs) Okay. Don't you worry. John wasn't faring very well either. On two occasions, it was suspected that he attempted suicide. Once when he fell off of a train near Roanoke during a trip with Caroline. They insisted, quote unquote, they insisted it was an accident, but the brakeman felt he witnessed a suicide attempt. A few weeks later, John was pulled from an open cistern just in time to save his life. This time, Virginia Wardlow raised the alarm and subsequently explained away this incident as John had been taking measurements to provide a water supply for the school. A week later, Virginia again raised an alarm at 8 a.m. in the morning. John was found thrashing about on the floor of his room at the college, his nightclothes on fire. Three hours later, okay, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Three hours later, he died of first-degree burns. Uh, Well, I was going to say a first-degree, but this was way back when, so. John had a life insurance policy (laughs) on him. (laughs) $12,000, equivalent to $361,911 in 2021 money. That's, That's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, all right. No. Kind of fuckery. Well, but I mean, isn't it a a clause that if if somebody if somebody dies by taking their own life, typically the life insurance is void, so they would have to make it seem like it was an accident. Like, how do you accidentally catch fire? So, uh, and I'm skipping ahead just a few sentences, but. His death was ruled a suicide, but the sisters all claimed it was an accident. Like, they they constantly claim that these deaths are accidents. So, I th- I think it was they were ruled a suicide by, I guess, the coroner. Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, you said it was ruled a suicide, so that's, that's yeah. what I'm assuming. 
And they're like, no, 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 it was an accident. And they're like, oh, okay, take this insurance money. Well, you're missing a bigger question here. Okay. Did they get the money? You would think that this insurance was under his wife Anna's name. But you would be wrong. John had switched the policy beneficiary to his aunt, Virginia. Was his signature forged like all the other ones? So, all right. So if we, let's, let's lay this down. All right. So he switches his life insurance policy from his wife. Your first thought is he gives it to his, his mother, Mary. No. Or he puts it in the name of Caroline, who went and picked him up from the school. No. He gives it to the spinster, Virginia. What? <laughs> okay. Um, There's not a lot that makes sense so far, and I have a feeling that's going to be a trend. So uh, It might be a trend. Um, yeah. So. After all of this... Caroline returns to Linville in order to persuade Fletcher to return with her, stating they have family business to take care of. Yeah, because this turned out so well for your brother in the exact same situation. Yeah, and Fletcher has a son. Okay. He goes with her to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Vashti... Fletcher's wife attempts to get in touch with Fletcher, but Caroline claims that he is too sick to visit with her. After another attempt to contact Fletcher, Vashti discovers that he's been moved to a different boarding house. Vashti eventually gives up and returns home and files for a divorce. So women could divorce, I guess. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that she couldn't divorce. What I was saying was he wasn't there. So, I mean, in today's world, we can file for divorce, but we do have to have a response. Well, it you does don't necessarily have to have a I mean, response, it, yeah. It delays it at the very least. So, I mean, yeah, she could have, but who knows how long that would have taken. Yeah. And it does just say she filed for divorce. It doesn't say that yeah. it went through. Well, of course, the, the other guy probably died before it would have gone through anyway. Well, I'm pretty sure that it went through because our boy Fletcher was not turned off by love by any means. Okay. He soon married again in 1906 in Louisville, Kentucky. Fletcher Sneed marries O.C., his cousin. Ew. That's what I was saying. Ew. Family, keep it in the family. Uh. (laughs) they're keeping a lot in the family let's put it that way okay keep going let's move move on from that originally the sisters didn't approve of their marriage so they were okay so they were smarter than i thought (laughs) well they they had their stances on certain things i guess you gotta stand for something gross um (laughs) so they didn't approve of their marriage so they were wed in secret but in january 13 on january 13th 1908 this is about two years later there was a second ceremony held in jersey city new jersey that included the sisters the couple's second ceremony was held shortly before the birth of their first child you 
Yes. O.C. gives birth to a daughter, Mary Alberta Sneed, who dies. Maybe. So apparently, all right. You can't see my face right now, but there's a lot of confusion very regularly displayed on my face. Some places it says that Mary dies. So like on Wikipedia, it says that Mary dies. But then in some other places, it says that the sisters took Mary to an orphanage and just told O.C. that she died. Okay. Okay. So. Sort of makes sense. Yeah. So that's why I said maybe died. Okay. We don't know. After the sisters received, at this point, we don't know. Just FYI. After the sisters received word that OC was pregnant again, the three sisters chased her to Canada and sent her against her will to Brooklyn, New York. Subsequent to this, O.C.'s mother told her that Fletcher had died. Did he really? No, he was alive and well. Um, I think he was working as a chef in Canada, and he was still in contact with his mother and his aunts. Okay. But O.C. didn't know this. These guys just up and leave their wives, even when related to them. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um uh, I guess blood is not thicker than water. Gross. But, well, mm, certain (laughs) blood? (laughs) I don't don't know. Um, Virginia and Caroline moved into the apartment in Brooklyn with O.C. O.C. begins to fall ill. It's strange how often these people get ill as soon as their aunts come to town. You're correct. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a life insurance policy? Dr. William Petit. Petit? Petit? P-E-T-T-I-T. Petit? Petit? Petit, I think. Petit. Was called in to look at this sickly pregnant woman. Because remember, she's pregnant. He found her suffering from depression, general weakness, and malnutrition. She seemed depressed and indeed, this is a quote, sorry. She seemed depressed and indeed afraid of those about her, he told police later. Bet she was. Um, I'm sure. Petit visited the uh, Wardlow household several times and repeatedly found that his instructions for O.C.'s care were not being followed. Because the sisters were not cooperating, nor were they paying him, he stopped visiting. Yeah, they weren't paying the doctor. Well, and they obviously they weren't listening to him either. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't feel like I would keep going either. I'd just kind of give up. The sisters called another doctor who smuggled food to O.C. when he saw her condition. Not long after O.C.'s baby was born, he sneaked through a window, this new doctor, to check on her but Virginia threw him out. A lawyer subsequently told him there was nothing that could be done. So this doctor, this other doctor, they never gave his name, so I don't I don't know what his name was. He's sneaking her food. Virginia throws him out when he's caught. He goes to a lawyer. He's like, what can we do? And the lawyer's like, nothing. 
That okay. sucks. Also, how terrible is it that he's just like, oh, she looks hungry and sneaks her food, which means he knows it's the ants. Otherwise, oh, yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have bothered. So, hmm. Okay. Several months later, Petit was once again summoned and found O.C. to be even weaker than before and no longer pregnant. The baby, named David, had been taken to a hospital where he was in poor health. He was later placed in an orphanage by the sisters. So I think that's kind of where the rumor of her first kid came in. That the sisters took her first kid to an orphanage and just told her it died. Yeah. So, anyway. Virginia told Petite to inform O.C. that she was dying and to tell her to make a will. Bitch, I'm a doctor. (laughs) Oh, uh, she doesn't have a will, so we need to remedy that because uh, obviously she's dying. Or not. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck right off. Plus, I mean, it sounded like even he was like, I mean, I feel like he was probably suspicious, too. Just because, I mean, they're not listening to him. They're not paying him. Yeah, Yeah. no, dude. Well, can I also point out the simple fact that these three women were also walking around fully clad in black the whole time with veils on? Yeah, you didn't say it was the whole time. Oh, it's the whole time. You mentioned it. You mentioned it before, like when they were doing their shenanigans. You didn't mention that it was just their garb. It's all the time. That's like, yeah, that's like their, yeah, everyday clothing. So I'd be suspicious. A little. Yeah. Anyway. Instead. How how could you tell which was which? If it had bales on. I have no idea. No idea. (laughs) And that would freak me out every time I went over to that place. I wouldn't be going over there. I'd be like, nope. No, I'm not going to be a sacrifice today. I can't do it. I've got a four o'clock, man. They're waiting on me. If I don't show up, they know to call somebody. Exactly. (laughs) So instead of uh, telling O.C. that she was dying and to make a will, Petite had a nurse brought in to care for O.C. The nurse stayed just one day before being removed by the sisters. Rather than pay the $100 bill presented by the doctor, the sisters offered to make him a $1,000 beneficiary in O.C.'s will. How much money were they supposed to be getting from this? What the... Just... I know that's not the normal question, but it's... I mean, that's my immediate thought. Like, okay, we're going to give $1,000 to you if you'll just make this happen. Yeah, we'll and get that's to not that. A con- that's not a conflict of interest, by the way. Not at all. Um, no, not But at all. also, I mean, she didn't have... This is their niece, right? Mm-hmm. So... Niece and daughter. Okay. So her mom's there. Caroline's there, too. Oh, that's right. Um, and she's currently still married to her cousin? Even you are correct, ma'am. Her? Okay. Yes. So fine we make a will and and we make it to your mother and her sisters um what are they getting like how she couldn't have had that much that's where i'm confused yeah we'll get to it okay 
So, not surprisingly, he declined and decided to take steps against the family, believing that O.C. was under some hypnotic influence. There it is again. Mm -hmm. What he did not know was that O.C. was being given regular but unnecessary doses of morphine for her postpartum pain by her mother and aunts. Okay. When Petit returned to check on O.C. before he reported the strange case to the police, he found the place abandoned and the sisters gone. So they fucking scooted. They laid it all out there. He said no. They said bye. Find somebody else. Yeah. The family next surfaced in another Brooklyn neighborhood in September 1909. When Virginia, wearing a thick layer of black veils, visited Julius Caraba, a New York attorney, and asked him to help a dying woman prepare a will. Mm-hmm. Caraba came to Osi's bedside while her mother and aunts chanted prayers over her. That's not freaky, but okay. In their black dresses and it, black veil. Black veil get-ups. After the prayers, Virginia asked Osi if she wanted to make a new will, to which Osi agreed. Caraba told the women that Osi needed a doctor and some food. The sisters said they could not afford either. Caraba offered to write them a check, and while the sisters left the room in search of a pen, because apparently it takes three people to find or two people to find a pen, talk to O.C. She told him that she was dying, reached under her pillow, and gave him her will, in which she left everything to her grandmother, Martha and asked him to make himself executor. So let me just make a point here. This lawyer is actually doing his job because it is a part of their job when they do a will to make sure that the person is of sound mind and is under no duress. So, Hey, I'm impressed. You know, he, he went the extra step and said, all right, you know, you guys obviously need money. If you would just find me a pen, because I'm a lawyer here to draft a will, but I forgot to bring a pen. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't occur to anybody. Uh, I, I'll just write you a check. And they're like, oh, yes. They saw dollar signs and they all just left. Because apparently there was not a pen in the place. Yep. But uh, that worked for her. Uh-huh. I mean, I wonder if she gave him like a signal or something, like tried to well, I mean, give him were- an indication that she wasn't. She wasn't really agreeing to this. If you walked in on something like that, wouldn't you be suspicious? I mean, you'd be suspicious, but a lot of people, I mean, let's face it. There's probably a lot of lawyers that would say, I just want my money. And you hired me to do this, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm saying he did the extra step of, this seems sus. I'm going to get her alone, ask questions, and then she like, Pulls all stops. Hey, by the way, here's my real will. Why don't you become executor and leave them out? Well, that's a whole 180. This didn't stop the sisters. They offered Caraba $7,000. They're just throwing money around. Yep. Equivalent to $211,115 in 2021 money. But they don't have money to pay for a doctor. To make them beneficiaries. Caraba refused and the sisters dropped him as their attorney. 
Well, technically, wouldn't they have had to have paid him something to retain him as their lawyer? Yep. In October 1909, Virginia was served as defendant in a lawsuit for non-payment of the price of a new piano. Her response to the plaintiff was, wait until we bury our dead. At this time, O.C. was near death from lack of food and medical care and was moved to an apartment at 89 East 14th Street, East Orange, New Jersey. So they've moved her again. I mean, you're telling me there's nothing anybody can do and these ladies are walking around like, just give us some time. She's gonna die and then we'll have money. Like, nobody stops and is like, hey, that's not normal i guess not i mean it was early 1900s i don't know uh yeah but i mean that's just okay so this this is a little sus i I just i can't imagine but okay let's go the new apartment had no heat or gas for cooking and the place was furnished with just two cots a rug a chair and a barrel for a table the police were called on by the family on November 29th, 1909, and told there was an accident. They have a lot of those. Uh-huh. The police sent then sent a physician to their home. Virginia led Dr. Herbert M. Simmons, the assistant county physician, to an upstairs bathroom where O.C.'s naked body was sitting in a tub of water with her head tilted under the faucet. A suicide note was pinned to her clothes that were laying beside the bathtub and it read as follows. Last year, my little daughter died. Other near and dear kindred have too gone to heaven. I long to go there too. I have been ill and weak a very long time now. Death will be blessed, will be a blessed relief to me in my sufferings. When you read this, I will have committed suicide. My sorrow and pain in this world are greater than I can endure. O.C. W.M. Sneed. So again, this is suicide. So is this a life insurance policy involved? And they're just like, no, it really was an accident. Well, Simmons began to muse about the circumstances of which all of this was found. And I'm going to quote directly from the New York Daily News.com article for this next little bit. It seems particular. It seemed peculiar. I don't know how I got those two mixed up, but whatever. It seemed peculiar that the women who reported the girl's death, Virginia Wardlow, her aunt, had waited 24 hours before calling for help. Also, Yes. Also, the house was unheated and so sparsely furnished it was hard to believe anyone lived there. Wardlow herself was a strange figure, dressed in black with a cape cascading to her ankles and a veil covering her face. Simmons asked why she waited so long to report her niece's death. She was quoted saying, She asked not to be disturbed. So you left your sickly, dying niece 
in the bathroom for 24 hours before you decided to check on her. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Simmons told, uh, Simons told authorities that he thought detectives should look into the matter, thus opening a bizarre case of murder and three weird sisters. I fucking love that quote. The remnants of a once proud Southern family that had fallen on hard times. Wardlow was uncooperative when a detective tried to question her. She ended up in a jail as a material witness while detectives probed the death of her niece. Can you imagine how much that freaked out everybody else that was in that jail? She Uh, probably was walking around with (laughs) her black dress and veil and everybody's freaking out. Like, is this, is this death become me? Like, what is happening? Get this Did you arrest the Grim Reaper? Hey, Reaper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They discovered that over the years, several insurance policies had been taken out on Sneed's life. Sneed, in reference to O.C. Because O.C. married her cousin. So we're keeping it in the family, people. Gross. And that her relatives, strapped for cash, had been constantly barring against them. Yeah, so they were taking out life insurance policies and then borrowing against those life insurance policies. Yeah, um, so that they used to be able to do that. I I think they still can to some extent, but I think they kind of put an end to that because of this very reason. Like, yeah, that that's a clear problem. Not only are you counting on getting that money, but now you're really counting on it since you're borrowing against it. So the only way you're going to be able to pay it is for it to pay. Yep. Also troubling was the handwriting on O.C.'s suicide note. It didn't, it did, it didn't match exactly the sample of her own handwriting. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> police. I'm sure they had a story for that. Yeah. So in the meantime, you know, Virginia's in jail. The other two sisters are nowhere to be found. But police find Mary Sneed living in the basement with her sister, her aged mother, uh, Martha. They nabbed, literally it says that, they nabbed Caroline in in a Manhattan hotel. Her black clothes and veil were the things that gave her away. (laughs) (laughs) You mean that wasn't the fashion of the time? <laughs> what the fuck? Are you, you know what? That, that brings up a really good point. All they had to do was not wear the black and dress and veil and they never would have caught them. I know. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's dedication to a look. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the women were charged with first degree murder and with complicity and helping O.C. Sneed commit suicide. I didn't know that was a thing, by the way. Um, as uh, That they could be charged with first-degree murder and complicity in helping in a suicide? Well, you know, they're, it's like we've talked before, the two separate charges. So, depending on how you look at it, they're guilty oh, of one or the true. other. Okay. Anyways, it doesn't matter. As they awaited trial, Virginia Wardlow started feeding her meals to the rats in the Trenton Penitentiary. 
And she died in August 1910. It was impossible to, to determine whether Wardlow. I thought I was going to burp, but I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> it was impossible to determine whether Wardlow had been a suicide or simply fallen ill. Caroline's tirades, outbursts, and irrational behavior made it seem likely that she'd been decla- she'd be declared insane. Still, despite a slew of character witnesses who described her alarmingly bizarre words and deeds, the judge ruled the woman was fit for trial. Go, judge. Do yo thing. During insanity hearings, she offered an account of what happened. She said that her child was in a pitiable state and had become a morphing addict who daydreamed of suicide. The evening of the death, Caroline said she had accidentally given her daughter a morphine overdose. In an attempt to revive O.C., Caroline dumped her into cold water in the bathtub when it was clear that there was no hope, Caroline fled. In the end, Mary Snead, O.C.'s mother-in-law and aunt, I'm just not going to let it go, was acquitted and Caroline pleaded guilty to manslaughter. She expected no jail time because when she learned on January 23rd, the that the, the that was my one time. That was, yeah. <laughs> On January 23rd, 1911, that her sentence would be seven years, she shrieked, I do not deserve it! <laughs> <laughs> the prisoner. <Very> had- <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at some stuff. The prisoner had to be carried from the courtroom, still sitting in her chair, shrieking, I do not deserve it! (laughs) Soon after she entered jail, she was transferred to an asylum, an insane asylum, I hate calling them that, where she stopped eating and died on June 20th, 1913. An autopsy showed some clogging of the arteries, but no one could say for sure whether her death was really a suicide. In the end, O.C. was buried on December 7th, 1909 at Mount Hope Cemetery beside her father, her seven-year-old brother, and two-day-old infant daughter, Mary Alberta, in Hastings on Hudson in Westchester County, New York. Here's another sad part. Her infant son, David Pollock Sneed, who had been taken by the sisters shortly after birth and placed in an orphanage, died July 18, 1910, at the age of nine months, and is buried with his family. So he didn't live long either. They didn't even acknowledge him, though, because obviously they wrote the suicide note. Um, it mentions the daughter, but it says nothing about the son. Well, here's the thing. So when police were investigating this, uh, I didn't write it down in my notes, but it was just like, you know, those tidbits of like information that you pick up in this and you know, you're going to bring it up at some point. This is me bringing it up towards the end. Uh, when they found Caroline, 
I think it was when they found Caroline. They found over a hundred suicide notes for OC. Yeah. You mean when they found her before the trial? Yeah. Oh, so they found all, they found all her practice notes. Yeah. Why did she keep them? I don't know. <laughs> was, was she that stupid. proud of her work, even though the signature didn't even match? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> But wow. it was just like over a hundred. Are you kidding me? And apparently Virginia also, um, Virginia, the day before uh, OC died, I read this somewhere else, but I didn't read it in most places. So I didn't include it. But Virginia had gone to a pharmacy to try and find or try and pick up um, chloroform. The day before OC died. Well, I mean, apparently they could find morphine because they were giving it to her regularly. I mean, that must have been easy to come by. Well, Samantha, that was back in the day when they put cocaine in our Cokes. <laughs> well, that's what the doctor gave you whenever you <laughs> went with some kind of ailment. Here's here's a shot of uh, cocaine. Move along. It, You'll be uh, fine. The Wine and Crime uh, podcast, those girls, they constantly say, uh, what is it? Got ghosts in your blood? Do cocaine about it. <laughs> For the lot, when I was younger, I would read these books that were from old times, and it would talk constantly about a snuff case. And I didn't realize what snuff was. Snuff was just cocaine. Yeah. The nose. Like seriously, they just people walked around and just did this out in public. Mm -hmm. Okay. So our My story, times have changed. The story's not quite over because I have a little bit more information for you. Because I wrote in a note at the end of this, like literally just a couple of lines. Oh, and this is me quoting myself because <laughs> I do this shit to myself. I put in notes randomly that just, I don't know why I do this. At some point, I'm going to get better at this. But it says, oh, it also came out that John, the brother of Fletcher, who died by being lit on fire or was on fire. Uh, oh, it also came out that John had actually died when the sisters doused him with kerosene and burned him alive while he slept in order to collect insurance. No kidding. <laughs> it was an accident. He fell asleep in the same house as them. Oh my gosh. What? <laughs> it was found out, what, later? How long later after? I mean, how I long after are we talking? Like I said, I don't know. I have no idea. Wow. Okay. So that's that would that would definitely do it. I've heard. That's the sisters in black. Thoughts? All right. Well, I I think they wore black all the time. That way, they were just constantly in mourning, so they wouldn't know. Nobody would know when they had killed their last victim, since it was supposed to be for a year. <laughs> they just wore black all the time. True. True that. I think it's. I I feel like what started out as like being eccentric became like an identity. Yeah. And they just fed off of each other. I feel like the one that was quite literally insane. I mean, Caroline many talked about how she was a little unhinged. I feel like they fed off of her oh, and yeah. that definitely happens. Um, but wow. Okay. 
I mean, it, you definitely had the life insurance thing, but not everything was for life insurance. I mean, no. I, I, I think they were just crazy and I maybe just like drama and mayhem. I kind of what it seems like. Too. Yeah. Drama and mayhem. Very, very dramatic. I mean, there is nothing more dramatic than walking around your entire life in a completely black ensemble, including a veil covering your face. I mean, that's about as dramatic as you could possibly get outside of wearing said outfit in court while yelling <laughs> it's not fair <laughs> i didn't do it you know what did, what did she say uh, i do not deserve this <laughs> bless her yeah so that's the sisters in black good job dude that was it was entertaining and confusing and very dramatic. Well, hopefully you were able to follow it. It reminds me a lot of you. Um, yes. <laughs> chaos. I had not, like, I had not seen I don't know how you, I don't know how you kept this quiet. I forgot. I also forgot to say, um, I had never heard of this case. And one of my, uh, one of my friends actually told me about it. Um, one of my Wednesday night guys told me about it because he actually went to the school there. What? Yeah. <laughs> so, How crazy is that? So, so I'm guessing yeah. this is a story like they talked about at yeah. school. Yeah, for sure. Okay, um, then. Or he went to school around there because I think the school was actually demolished. I don't know. He's a little bit older. Anyways, as all. I don't, think, I don't, I don't think he's 1910 older. <laughs> I don't think he's 1910 older. Um, so, yeah, that was. That's my guess. <laughs> That's my case. You're all welcome. I struggled through this coughing because uh, I'm still kind of sick. <laughs> you did a good job. I, that's rough. I did do a good job. Go me. And <laughs> it's almost my birthday. <laughs> it is almost your birthday. I'm so excited. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Samantha, where can our now four listeners find us on Instagram? at reaper tales podcast you can find us at reaper tales podcast on facebook and now you're gonna make me do the email and i wrote it down on a note and my notes is not working right now so i'm gonna try to guess it it was reaper gals at reapertales.com right yep i nailed it you nailed it. You can email us there with show suggestions and all of the compliments. We only take compliments. That's it. We really do appreciate those compliments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Keep uh, going. And we're on all. We're on all the platforms oh. now. Um, because I'm apparently very smart and didn't see the <laughs> button where I could publish the all platforms before. <laughs> so I swear I work in IT. <laughs> or some form of IT. Anyway, you can listen to us on all platforms, but as you do listen to us on all forms of platform, make sure that you rate, review, and follow us. That brings our stats up, and it makes more people find the podcast. And if you like this podcast, you want other people to find this podcast. Duh. That's right. And interact with us on social medias. If We're you follow very us, please follow us. Yeah. Interact. Talk to Most us. Most of the time, it's Samantha interacting with you if you're on our social media. But if you get like a funny remark or reply that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, it's me. <laughs> this is accurate. 
it was me responding to because we both have access to the social medias. And if there's a moment where you're like, are they kidding or are they serious? It's probably Montana and it's she's me. being very sarcastic. So this is why Samantha probably. has <laughs> most of the control on our social media and not me. <laughs> also, the reason why it's most and not all is because somebody is still a control freak. So listen, I okay, I can't let it go completely. <laughs> One day I will learn to let go. And until that time, um, we will catch you guys later. Oh, wait. I can't sign off like that. That's not how I normally sign off. No, All right. You got to do it the way you always do. <sighs> Take a deep breath. In, out. Until next time. The reaper will come for us all.